0: Welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindberg, and I'm a writer for TheRinger.com, as is my colleague and constant co-host, Michael Bauman. Hello, sir. No nickname this week. Nope. Not every week. Okay. I'm going to wear it out. But we have a couple of guests to get to today, so we don't have a ton of time to talk. We are going to talk to Ozzie Smith in just a moment. Going to ask him about new evaluations of defense and changes in the game and strikeout rate and defensive positioning and all sorts of interesting stuff that you'd want to hear Ozzie Smith talk about. But later in the episode, we are going to talk to Reds pitcher slash pinch hitter, Michael Lorenzen, who is really rounding out the roster of Ringer MLB show player guests.
1: I would call him the captain of the the all Ringer MLB be show team. He might be because he
0: is, we'll get into this later in the episode, but he is not only a hybrid player in that he can pitch and hit, but he is also a hybrid reliever in that he can go multiple innings and come in early in the game. So if you had to fill out a bullpen just with players that we've had on this podcast, it would be yeah, a very interesting group. I don't know what it would project to do exactly. I think it'd be probably it'd be a pretty, pretty good, yeah, pretty
1: shut down. Perkins, Bradslow, yeah. Well, I mean, Davinsky? Yeah, Davinsky. Craig Breslow? Lorenzen, it's also worth noting, played for a big-time college baseball program. So, That's right. The same <laughs> one that uh,
0: Davinsky did. Yeah,
1: it's true. We're going to have the entire 2011 <laughs> Cal State Fullerton Titans on the show by... <laughs> by the end of the month. Uh,
0: we don't always go for the superstars on this show. Sometimes we do. Ozzy Smith, for one, is a Hall of Famer. But... Right.
1: Our first Hall <laughs> of Famer on the show, and he's not the guest we're most excited <laughs> for, which I think is, is
0: very on brand for us. Hey, I don't play favorites. I love all our guests equally. But yeah, sometimes we want to go with the unsung stars and shed a little light on them.
1: Yeah, sure. So... Stars <laughs> is a word that we're throwing around with Michael Lorenzen now.
0: Stars of our heart. Yeah. yeah. Stars who are about to be born. We're buying low on Lorentzen. And who knows, maybe stars someday soon, the way the Reds are playing. So let's get to that first guest and welcome in Ozzy. Swing and a one-hop shot. Diving play by Ozzy, Long
2: throw. You wouldn't believe it. Unbelievable. You just have to be here to see it. There's 45,000 plus, and they're giving Ozzy a standing order.
0: The dive 10 feet to catch that ball.
2: Then righted himself and threw him out. He is unbelievable.
0: So we are joined now by Hall of Famer Ozzie Smith, who this week is teaming up with Kingsford to conduct some surveys about what the best things about baseball today are. We will give you the details for those surveys a little later in the interview, but this is a nice excuse for us to have him on and get his thoughts about the ways that the game has evolved since he stopped playing. Hi, Ozzie. How are you? All right. How are you? We're doing well. So, you know, I look at your stat line, even from the end of your career, and it wasn't all that long ago because you played so long, but it seems as if it just came from a completely different era. You know, in your last season, you struck out in 3.4% of your plate appearances. You struck out in 5.5% of your career plate appearances, and no one does that anymore. You know, you can set the plate appearance minimum as low as you want last season, and no one comes close to what you did in your final year as a 41-year-old. So, do you think that that has more to do with the evolution of hitters or the evolution of pitchers? In other words, are pitchers just hard to hit today? And even if you were transported into today's game, you would be striking out a lot too, or does it mostly reflect a difference in hitters approach at the plate and the fact that they're not trying to avoid strikeouts anymore?
3: Well, you know, I think today that's part of where the game is a little bit different you know, the guys are taking the same swing o oh, and 2 as they're taking 1 and 0, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint is the reason I think that you 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 have guys striking out more along with the fact that guys are throwing over 100 miles per hour. Uh, those two things coupled together means that, you know, you're going to have a lot more strikeouts. But, you know, when balls are hit now, they certainly go a lot further because guys are throwing a lot harder.
0: Right. So do you think that that is a good or bad thing, at least from the player's perspective? In other words, you know, do you look back and say, well, guys aren't playing the right way because they're not trying to make contact with two strikes? Or do you say this is smart because, you know, strikeouts aren't a good thing, but they also don't hurt that much if they go hand in hand with walks and home runs and the other things that they are kind of moving in tandem with today. So do you see it as a a smart thing by teams and and hitters to not choke?
3: Well, I see it as a generational thing. You know, for us when we were growing up, it was all about um, if you – the only way that you can put pressure on the defense is to put the ball in play. And when you had two strikes on you, you were always told to choke up and and put the ball in play because that gave you the best chance at getting on base. And if you get on base, you have a chance to score. And um, that was the thought process. Today, I think it's all about being able to hit that ball out of the ballpark. It's always been an offensive-oriented game, but – we know the importance of defense and um i came up at a time when we knew that if we caught and threw the ball better and more consistently than the other team over the long haul of 162 game schedule we we're going to win more games and that was a that was a philosophy that i think that was held by uh our generation of players
1: now i was just looking at the the team stats for your three uh pennant winning Cardinals teams, and like a team like that just couldn't exist today. It's not only the the high contact. You know, Jack Clark really was the the only power hitter, but you guys, you know, you guys were stealing a couple hundred bases a year. You know, Vince Coleman was stealing a hundred bases a year on his own. And so, I think there's there's not really a whole lot of debate about whether or not today's approach is better for winning the game. But I'm curious what you think about that kind of approach versus the game that, as it was played in the 80s, just as an entertainment product.
3: Well, you know, here again, I, I, it certainly was about entertaining, but we knew as a team that that's the way that we had to play it because we played in a very spacious stadium. So there were certain things that had to be done and done consistently if we were going to give our chance, ourselves the best chance of winning. Uh, we knew that we had to have guys who could, could run. The way that you put pressure on the defense is you put the ball in play. And in the 80s, we knew that, when we played teams like the the Mets who were a great offensive team, they had great pitching and stuff, the only way that we were going to beat them and we knew that we could beat them that if we if the pitcher kept the game close that from a defensive standpoint that was going to be our, our entree into winning and beating them on a consistent basis and that's basically what we did. We caught them through the baseball more consistently and, and better and when the game was tight, nine times out of ten we won those close games.
0: And why do you think it is that pitchers throw so much harder today is it training techniques is it guys just being selected for their ability to throw hard or is it just sort of the general evolution of athleticism in sports
3: yeah, it's, it's just the evolution i think that we've gotten to this point and um, to piggyback on that a little bit you know you look at the shortstop position same thing you know the kids are much bigger much stronger and expected to present a lot more offense than we did as prototypical shortstops back in the the seventies and eighties. So it's, it's an evolution of the game. I think that, um, you know, the thought process is a little bit different. They're willing to forego defense for a guy being able to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And I think that that, that that had a lot to do with uh, people like Cal Ripken and Troy Tulawisky proving that they had the the hands and the ability to play shortstop and present the the team with a lot more offense. So um, the, the game is kind of going in that direction. Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to change back. I think the importance of of good defense is always there. That's the thing that's going to put your offense in position to win. So that's always going to be needed, and I think that over the long haul the team that does that more consistently is the team that's going to – probably win a, win a world championship.
1: And one of the hallmarks of the game over the past couple of years has been this great group of young shortstops with, you know, guys like Lindor and Corey Seager just this afternoon, I'm going to go work on a story about Andrew Alton Simmons. So do you have a favorite of that crop of young shortstops? And what do you think about, about Simmons as a defender, you know, as maybe a successor to, to you as best defensive shortstop ever?
3: Well, you know, I, um, I played with Terry Pendleton, who, um, was a coach down in Atlanta who had told me about Andrelton Simmons. And over the last five years, I've had a chance uh, through the Gold Glove Awards in New York to present Andrelton Simmons, Alcides Escobar, Francisco Lindor, Brendan Crawford, all of those guys. And they're all very unique in the way that they go about their their, their business. They're very important to their teams. I don't know if I have a favorite, you know, because each one is different in, in, in the, the way that they, they go about their business. But they're very, very talented. They're guys that have very sure hands. They're very, very good offensive players. And when you can, ha- when you can combine that with a sure-handed guy who doesn't necessarily have all the range, but they, they had, they're sure-handed. It gives a pitcher the confidence that he knows that if he gets a ground ball, he can get an out, as opposed to a pitcher standing out there thinking or feeling that he has to strike everybody out. And I think that when you look at San Francisco, certainly. I think that's been one of the steadying forces. Brandon Crawford there in the middle and, and in Kansas City with, uh, with an Alcides Escobar, giving them that confidence up the middle that they need. Um, and that's one of the reasons that they've, they've been as consistent as they have.
0: Mm-hmm. And in theory, at least, the increased strikeout rate means fewer balls in play, which means that we get fewer chances to watch those guys make spectacular plays. So I guess that's the the downside, even if it's a smart offensive tactic. You know, if you were playing today, you'd have fewer opportunities to make defensive plays. And in that sense, I guess we're yeah, being we're, deprived we're, of potential highlights.
3: Yeah, sure. If you if you get more strikeouts, then I mean, you certainly don't have that. The, the opportunities, but um, you know these guys when they do get the opportunities, they are they're taking advantage of it.
1: And balls that get put in play just because there's so much data out there, teams are shifting more. I'm you know wondering as someone who made his living on range and being able to get to balls like that, what do you think of the shift?
3: Well, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, to me, uh, we never play we we never played that way. You know, either you you have the range to to cover, but I think it speaks more to the offense than it does to the defense because uh, as a, as an offensive player to see, to look up and see all of the players on one side of the field, which leaves the other side of the field open. then I've got to do everything that I possibly can to get the ball to that side of the field, because it's, it's free. It's, it's open. If I can hit a ball that way, or learn to hit a ball that way. Um, it, it makes the game much easier for me, but uh, we don't seem to have players that are willing to, to, to make the commitment to learn to hit the ball the other way when they do that because the only way that that's going to change is that you've got to show them that you can hit the ball the other way and I, I haven't seen anybody that, that's done that consistently.
0: Yeah, and maybe that goes hand in hand with the swinging hard and the trying to hit for power. Maybe it's it's tough to have that kind of bat control where you can sort of aim the ball toward a, a certain side of the field.
3: Well, really, it, it, it has to do with, um, you know, really a guy on the mound Make hopefully making a mistake, and, and certainly there's nobody that's perfect, and you've got to learn how to sometimes, if if the shift is for a pull, you've got to learn how to take that ball on the inside and hit it the other way, and it takes a commitment to, to get to that point, but that was the commitment that my generation of players were willing to make so that you didn't have all of those types of shifts where they could only play you one a certain way.
0: And if you were playing today, do you think you would take advantage of all the information that's out there as far as spray charts and positioning? You know, you see guys in the field with little cheat sheets in their back pocket, so they see where to stand, that sort of thing. I'm sure that you had excellent instincts and experience that helped you in that sense. But do you think you would have wanted to take advantage of all the data, too?
3: No, no, we had uh, we had scouting reports, but, you know, there's nothing no substitute for great instincts. And if you play a team 12, 13 times a year, then you should have a, a an idea of what the hitter's tendencies are. And that's really what we played on. We didn't have all those statistics. Uh, we didn't worry about that because, you know, I had to get to the ball, uh, find a way to get to the ball. And uh, so statistics sometimes I think gets in the way of, of you being able to go out and do what comes natural for you to do. Uh, we never worried about those things. Uh, we had scouting reports. You relied on the scouting reports, but then still you had to rely on your instincts as well. And so uh, it it was a totally different game, and I think that that's where the game has really changed. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of which, one thing I like asking guys who were in the game as long as you were, I mean, you when you broke it in the league, Willie Starger was still around, and when you retired, you know, Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter were breaking in. So how, what was the biggest change over the course of that you know, 18, 20-year span?
3: Uh, the biggest change... Uh, I don't know. Here again, when we were coming up, it was all about when you had two strikes. And even with Willie Stargell and all of the big guys, it was still about making contact when you had two strikes. You know, they didn't swing the same way one and as they did O and two. You know, putting the ball in play, they realized was 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 important because that's the only way you can put pressure on the defense. So they cut down on their their swings, and that's just from a generation that that's what we were taught that you know you have to be able to put the ball in play. That's going to give you the best chance of getting on base, and if you get on base, then you then you worry about trying to score. So we uh, we our thought process was totally different than the way it is today. It's okay to go out and strike out 300 times. Back then, it was not okay because it meant that uh, if you struck out that that much, then you you may not get a pay raise. So (laughs) it was a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Well, do you think that you would have adjusted your game much if today's philosophies were in effect back then? Because you always hear about, you know, you'll, you'll criticize someone who didn't walk, for instance, in the seventies or eighties, and then someone will say, yeah, but that wasn't valued then they weren't being told to. Do you think if you were to play in today's environment, you would sort of adjust to it? You would also be swinging harder and striking out less and maybe hitting for more power, that sort of thing?
3: No, I think it's really realizing what uh, what your skills and your, your talents are and mm-hmm. trying to take advantage of that. You know, if you're not a power hitter, then there's no sense in going up there. I can remember when anytime time I hit a fly ball, they, they, people would say, well, he's trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Well, I was smart enough to know that I wasn't a power hitter, but I, I wanted to be able to hit the ball hard and, and, and back the defense up, and that was that was really it, but once I learned how to – keep the ball out of the air and hit line drives, uh, it became much easier. And I knew that I was a contact hitter and understanding a contact hitter. You know, I had to put the ball in play and if I want to utilize my speed, I had to put the ball in play. So cutting down on strikeouts and making sure that I kept the ball out of the air was, was, was paramount for me. And uh, I I think that the improvisation or learning how to, to make those adjustments, sometimes from pitch to pitch, um, from at bat to at bat was was what we prided ourselves on, and I'm not so sure that they pride themselves on that same thing today.
0: And we've mentioned a bit the evolution of positioning and the fact that there are fewer balls in play today, and defense is definitely still extremely important. but do you think that it's possible to sort of hide a subpar defender more easily than you might have been able to in the past? you know we We see a lot of middle infielders now who are really big, and maybe in the past they would have made a they would have played a different position, but you know at least today you have the advantage of being able to position them a little bit better maybe and There are fewer balls in play to begin with, so maybe it hurts you a little less to have a a bad defender in some cases.
3: Well, no, I I think that you know when you talk about trying to get guys in the lineup, I think the Chicago Cubs have that that challenge with Schwarber, who's not Uh a good defensive player but a great offensive player. It's the challenge of being able to find a spot for him to be able to play on an everyday basis if you're going to get him in the lineup. So that, I mean, that to me is the, the, the real challenge to find guys who can can do both. You know, you you want to be able to put nine players out there who are both good defensive players and, and great offensive players. Unfortunately, that, you know, doesn't happen that often, but you want as many of those guys out there with high baseball IQs as as you can find. And And the teams that are successful are able to find guys with pretty high baseball IQs who have the ability to make the adjustments that they have to make. To, to make themselves successful and, and consequently make, make the team more successful.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do you think of the evolution of the measurement of defense? Obviously, when you were playing, it was errors and fielding percentage. And, you know, you looked great by those metrics and you look great by the newer metrics, too. But the switch to UZR and DRS and now StatCast, are you interested in that stuff? Are you excited about it? Is it overload for you?
3: not really because the bottom line is either I caught it or I didn't I made the play or I didn't make the play and so you know I never got caught up in 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 that I think that it can help you from a bargaining standpoint a negotiation when you go Mm -hmm. into to to do um, to do a contract but for the most part it's just about being able to 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 make the play when the play comes to you Uh, either you did it or you didn't and the game was complicated enough when you're running up there trying to face guys and throwing sliders and curveballs and change-ups and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So statistically, I, I, we didn't get caught up in that.
0: Yeah, well, of course, you know, you also got to many more balls and had the opportunity to make many more plays, which is something that doesn't necessarily show up in, say, errors or fielding percentage. A guy might make more errors because he's getting to more balls.
3: That's right. Well, you know, here again, I, I think that p- speaks to my pitching staff as well you know, our pitcher is going to be much more effective when he realizes that he can pitch to to contact rather than having to strike a guy out. And there's nothing greater than being able to go out there and do what you get paid to do. And, and that's to, to run the ball down. And I had a lot of pitchers who understood um, the importance of, of being able to, to get a ground ball when he needed a ground ball. And and I'd like to think that psychologically I help them by being out there. And sometimes winning is much more than getting a big hit or making a great play. It's about being able to help that pitcher psychologically. Me at 65 to 70% may be better psychologically to my pitching staff than somebody else who may be 100%. So I took a lot of pride in that, and I wanted to be that guy that when they look back there, they said, hey, you know, have him hit it to Ozzy." That was, you know, I took a lot of pride in that, and uh, I never uh, took that for granted.
1: My last question is uh, a little less analytical. What do you like watching baseball nowadays? You know, when you're just sitting on your couch watching a game, are you still plugged in? You know, like trying to to see if the pitchers tipping pitches, or have you been able to like turn off that you know that analytical side of your brain when you're watching the game?
3: That never goes away. When you compete uh, for as many years as we competed. That type of thing never goes away. When you sit down and you, you you look for the little things that you did when you played, you know, whether or not a guy's turning his, his foot in or whether he's got it turned out, whether or not he's going home, whether or not guys are making the adjustments at home plate with two strikes, making sure they cut down on it. When you see those things, uh, those are the players that you know are going to have longevity and are – or high uh, IQ baseball players. That, that's what to, that's what we're in search of. I'm in search of when I'm sitting down watching a game, watching a guy who doesn't necessarily have to be coached, but has an idea of the things that he has to do that's going to make him successful, and uh, in return make help the team become more successful.
1: And if you're you're searching for that guy, I know you said you didn't have a, a favorite one of the young shortstops, but there is there a name that comes to mind? A guy who's getting those edges.
3: Well, I, I think that you you see Alcides Escobar, you see um, Francisco Lindor, Brandon Crawford is certainly one of those players that 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 does that, and Andrelton Simmons. I I think he's still a little green as far as offense is concerned, but defensively, you know, he's he's making those adjustments. You can see that these guys also study their scouting reports and and their positioning is is very very good and you know that has a lot to do with their scouting too you know as to how they position themselves but you still have to have some athletic ability and some ability to improvise to still be effective out there in the field.
0: And uh, I know that you are already tweeting out a a survey that people can respond to from your own Twitter account, STL Wizard. But can you tell us where else people can participate in uh, weighing in on some of the things we've been talking about?
3: Well, if you want to join in the conversation about submitting that The the best at baseball, whether it's good or bad, what you think is good or bad about the game, you hashtag best of baseball for a chance to win a VIP trip to the 2017 All-Star Game, and you get to go to the Home Run Derby and and get to see all your, your favorite players up close.
0: Mm -hmm. and you know we've talked about all the ways that the game has changed and often you hear a previous generation of players saying you know the new guys don't know the fundamentals or they don't know how to play or you know the game is worse in some way i mean this has been the case going back through all of baseball history and we've been talking to you about all these changes but we haven't heard you have that attitude it seems like you are very open-minded about the way the the game has changed why do you think that is why why are you you able to resist that sort of ex-player tendency to say things were better in my day
3: well you know here again uh, it, it's the evolution of the game um you know i realize that you know there's nothing that i'm going to be able to do this that's really going to change it all i can do is, is voice my opinion uh what i think um you know you're always going to have people that believe that they're watching the best that baseball has to offer right now you know some of these young people today they they don't know their history or have not taken the time to study their history, and all they know that, that are current players. So there, there's nothing that I can do about that. I've, I've had my, my day in the sun. I worked extremely hard at my craft. Uh, I hope that people appreciate what it was that I brought to the game, and I tried to play it the, the right way and made sure that when people came to the ballpark, they got their money's worth. And um, I, I'm happy with what I was able to accomplish over a 19-year career.
0: All right. Well, again, you can find Ozzy on Twitter at STL Wizard. And if you want to participate in this survey, use the hashtag Best of Baseball, either in responding to his tweets or at Kingsford's tweets. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Ozzy.
3: OK, that's Kingsford's Facebook page or Twitter uh, using the hashtag Best of Baseball for a chance to win.
0: All right. Thank you.
3: All right. Thank you.
0: All right. We'll be right back with Michael Lorenzen of the Cincinnati Reds. All right. So if there is a center of the Venn diagram for topics that Michael and I and our listeners are interested in, it's somewhere between two-way players and pitchers who hit and relievers who throw multiple innings and aren't bound by the typical bullpen orthodoxy. So right at the center of both of those things that we like about baseball is Red's pitcher slash pinch hitter extraordinaire, Michael Lorenzen, who is joining us now. Hey, Michael. Yeah. Hello. So it seems like the Reds are running a really interesting experiment in the bullpen this year. Guys are coming in at all different times in the game when the leverage is at its highest. On April 10th, you came in in the third inning with the bases loaded and you faced the three guys at the heart of the order. It was the three most important plate appearances of the game. One, two. What a job by Michael Lorenzen.
3: Nice. You just can't do it any better than that. He walked in the door with the bases loaded and nobody out and retires three batters without a run
0: scoring. And you've had long outings and Rysel Iglesias too has come in at different times and it doesn't seem like you are bound by the closer comes in to get the save sort of model. So can you describe to us how that works and how it was described to you guys in the bullpen this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really as simple as, do what it takes to win. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, that's just what we're willing to do. He's got, you know, he's mentioned it too, that he's got a group of guys that don't necessarily, we we haven't earned anything in the major league level. And so we're just here to compete. Um, we've been through a couple of seasons where, you know, there wasn't much success coming from our team. And so now we're just kind of, we just want to win. And so, mm-hmm. you know, whatever situation that means, if that means me coming in the third inning and it's going to help us win, then that's what we're going to do. And I think, you know, we've all bought into it. And it's given our manager, Brian Price, the freedom to use us how he wants to and what he feels is best for the team.
1: We've talked to a couple veteran closers who are have really settled into a routine and you guys are sort of in a situation where not only was what you were doing last year not really working but most of the guys in that bullpen haven't been in the major leagues long enough like you said to warrant that kind of deference so does that help get buy-in from the pitching staff
2: yeah absolutely and i just think too we just see we already had this vision in our mind of how good we can be when you have these guys that are starting in our 95 plus what's going to happen when they go to the pen and, and have to get three outs or six outs, you know, it's just going to be a different story. And so we have basically every single one of our guys other than our, our veteran who, you know, comes in and still makes hitters look foolish, true story, but all of us are, are 95 plus. So we just come out and, and we know we're 95 plus and we know we have good stuff and we're just going to come at you and challenge you. And so I think that's just the difference is we're just excited to, to go out and, and kind of just not have to pitch, but just just my stuff versus yours. And and like I said, our bullpen's made up of guys with just, you know, Blake Wood, 97, 98. Singrani is 95-plus from the left side. Cody Reeds is 97 from the left side. You know, Juan e. Peralta touch 98 from the left side. It's like we, we got all these guys that are just, just – have that stuff and that capability of, you know, coming coming right at hitters and and you know that's just a difference maker really.
1: And you've got a couple guys. You're you know you with your position player background and Amir Garrett with the basketball background. You've got a, some guys on the team who have you know a little bit more athletic you know, general athletic background than just a pitching background. So if it's you and Amir Garrett in like a decathlon or or American gladiators, who comes out on top?
2: I think we just have to find that one out um, and do it. I think both of us will definitely think that we'll win. And so I think I'll win. He thinks he'll win. And, and, you know, at the end of it, we'll just – See who comes out on top.
1: All right. If you set that up, I'll go out there and cover it. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So, you had that one three
0: inning outing. So, how often can you do something like that if you're not necessarily conditioned to do that every time out? Does that sideline you for a while or how long can you go, do you think?
2: I mean, after I threw that three innings, I had one day off and I felt great that following day. So, I mean, I know it's so early in the season, we're just going to have to play it by ear. And I think that's another thing, too, is, you know, I've always taken my strength and conditioning seriously and, and just the way I eat in order for my body to recover as fast as possible. So I'm, I'm pretty good at listening to my body and pretty good at knowing, you know, what I need and, and what I need to do to, to get training to be to throw. So, so I'm I just, just going to play it by ear. Hey, how do you feel today after, you know, you threw two innings yesterday? You know, and, and it's just going to be, you know, I feel good or, or no, not today. I need one more off. And, you know, all I can go from is when I threw that, those three innings, I had one day off and the next day I felt great. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're still early in the season and no, no one's really done this. So, so all of us are learning. And I think what's exciting is, is I'm excited about it. You know, I, I don't, yeah. wasn't really into, you know, the old fashioned stuff. I like being innovative. I like you know, doing new things, as long as we win, I just don't see why not.
1: Mm -hmm. And when you come in, do you have an idea of how long you're going to be throwing? Because this like this was always struck me as one of the obstacles for a multi-inning reliever, because you can keep a guy stretched out to where he can go, you know, three innings every third day or something like that. But, you know, for someone like you or Chris Davinsky, and this was a I remember this being a big issue with Tyler J, who's now with the Twins when he was in college, guys who can go multiple innings, but also come in for for shorter stints. You know, do you find yourself going out there? airing it out for one inning and then they tell you, okay, we need you for a second one or is that planned out in advance?
2: No, I just think, I think, you know, we try and make it a lot more complicated than what it really is. I mean, he calls my name, I warm up, I come in, I pitch. If he says, you're going back out, I say, yes, sir. And and that's it. It's really, it's not that complicated, as complicated as we make it. It's, you know, every single pitch that I throw, it's, you know, it's going to be my best pitch that I have. And so if that's for, one inning, if it's for three innings, if it's for five, seven, nine, whatever they need, you know, it just, it doesn't matter. I guess I just simplify it and, you know, do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a baseball player. So it's just, we make all these things up and it's like, man, in college or in high school, I would have done it all, any day. But now that I'm in pro ball, it just gets different for some reason. And so you know, that's, that's not where I'm at. I, I just simplify it and I play the game and I play the game to win and I play the game to, you know, get the most out of who I am. So And it's as Mm -hmm. simple
0: as that. And another thing that's very easy to like about the Reds pitching staff is that as we speak, you guys have been the fastest working pitching staff in baseball. So you've averaged 22.1 seconds between pitches, which is the fastest rate of any team. Is that also a, a conscious strategy or is that just something that's happened?
2: I think it's something that's happened as, as I've mentioned previously, is just, we're challenging guys. And so we get the ball, we step on the rubber and we say, try and hit this, you know, and then get the ball back. We step on the rubber. We say, okay, try and hit this. And, you know, it just, it just comes with the mentality of, you know, we're just going to continue to challenge you and challenge you and challenge you. And, you know, if we continue with that approach more times than not, we're going to come out on top and, And I just think that's led to, I guess, quicker times between pitches.
1: So speaking of things that are different in the big leagues for the first time, you know, compared to college or high school, you know, you were a two way player and the best players usually are two way players at amateur at the amateur level. You know, in college, you played with J.D. Davis, who also went both ways and is now in the Astros system. So coming into pro ball, how much of a say did you have in uh, whether you were a pitcher or an outfielder? And was that weird concentrating only on pitching through most of your minor league career?
2: Yeah, it was, it was definitely different. I didn't want to get drafted as a pitcher (laughs) and I almost didn't pitch my junior year because of it, but the team needed me and I said, all right, I'll do it. And the Reds called, I think the day before the draft and said, you know, they wanted to put me on the fast track to the big leagues as a, as a pitcher. So it was kind of hard to turn that down. Um, They said, you know, it's still up in the air. You know, we'll still come back and revisit whether or not we want you to play center field. And I think what they saw out of me that first half of a season after I signed was, you know, they saw the athleticism and, and all the pitching coaches were, were saying that they needed to turn me into a starter because they thought that I was picking up stuff really fast. And so we tried that out and that was that was definitely different focusing on just pitching because at Cal State Fullerton we called the we called the pitchers the kickers of you know like a kicker (laughs) of the football team they don't do anything they're unathletic (laughs) and so it it was tough for me to to become one of those so now every time I go back to Cal State Fullerton they call me a kicker and
1: you had some good pitchers on that team your junior year though with uh and Garza
2: and and Garza and some other good ones but yeah. So it was tough. And then I just decided, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, you know, to the best of my ability. And, and, you know, just been trying to get better each and every day. And, and I think you see the progress every year.
1: So what goes along with that is you didn't really hit at all throughout the minor leagues. You had, I think 50 plate appearances over parts of four seasons in the minors. And one thing we talk about with hitter development is it's just really important to get those game reps in uh, particularly in your early twenties. So, do you find yourself playing catch up from a, from a hitter's perspective when you're called on to, to pinch hit late in the game or how does that, how has that affected your development as a hitter?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just college sliders are a lot different than big league sliders. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that's the difference is, is that, but I guess playing catch with pitchers every single day, kind of helps you recognize the spin and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I think, it hasn't been too bad it hasn't been too bad really I've been feeling good at the plate I've been feeling good you know I hit in the cage and stuff but I did I did have to take like two years off of just swinging just so you know I didn't I wanted just to buy into being a pitcher I didn't want that position player or that that hope to be a position player again to creep up so I just kind of cut that out and then once I got to the to the big leagues you know, I started hitting a little bit more and then, you know, he told me he's going to use me as a pinch hitter. So I've been taking it a lot more seriously and yeah, everything feels good though. Everything feels great. Batting practice feels great. I'm seeing the ball. um, Nice, but yeah, it's just, big league sliders are a lot different, like I said, than college sliders. So it's just the adjusting, you know, getting your eyes right and your timing right. And yeah, but I think I think I'm right there.
0: Yeah. And so you hit a home run last year that was one of the most emotional moments of the Reds season. It came at a difficult time for you. You just lost your father and then you came back and hit this home run. And then this month you did it again, this time as a pinch hitter. So
3: Michael Lorenzen going to be used as a pinch hitter. This ball is in the air to straightaway center field.
2: Racing back is Herrera. How about that? The Reds a year ago, the only team in the league that did not have a pinch hit home run. And here they're first in 2017. Come from perhaps the most unlikely
1: source.
0: You were the first pinch-hitting pitcher to hit a home run since 2009, so this is not a common thing. But I know that the Reds aren't carrying a big bench, and it seems like there will continue to be opportunities for you to do this, especially on days when you're not pitching. Do you have any sense of how often this might happen or how often you'd like it to happen?
2: Yeah, I just think what's nice about it is it kind of allows us you know, with a young rotation to have an extra guy in the bullpen. So that that's, what's nice about it. And then when I, when I'm going to be used is really when I throw three innings the day before and, and, you know, I'm completely down the next day, then he'll just have me in the dugout ready to come in and pinch hit if, if he needs an early pinch hit. And generally I'll be the first guy off the bench, you know, early in the game just so he doesn't have to burn a position player just in case something happens later on in the game. So, you know, it's, I'm usually, usually know when it's going to happen and it's been fun. And however much he wants to use me, I'm, I'm available. And I think that's one thing I've, I wanted to make clear is that I am open to this. I do want to do it. You know, I'm going to work hard at it and I'm going to do a good job. So I think they have confidence, confidence in me and, and yeah, it's exciting.
0: Mm -hmm. And as you know from being a pitcher, pitchers tend to get pitched differently when they're in the batter's box. You know, guys will (laughs) throw more fastballs or they'll just pound the strike zone more because they're not as afraid of the hitter doing damage. So that can change when you get a reputation as a really good hitter. You know, someone like Madison Bumgarner, for instance, gets pitched more like a hitter than a pitcher now. But do you think that scouting report is out on you or because you don't do this that Often, do you think the league still doesn't really know that you are a better hitter than the typical guy?
2: Yeah, that's already... I mean, my my first pinch hit, he threw me two first-pitch change-ups and was 2-0. Uh-huh. Then he threw me a fastball that I fouled back and it was 2-1. Then he threw me another change-up and it was 3-1 and then had to throw me a fastball. So, I mean, I've already been pitched like that against, you know, the Brewers. He threw me first-pitch slider, second-pitch fastball, and then I was 2-0. And generally, when I'm in a hitter's count, you know a pitcher's facing a pitcher and they're in a hitter's count, they're not going <laughs> to, it's it's just, they're going to come at you with a fastball. And so I think that's really what the, what the plan is, is every time I'm in a hitter's count, I'm going to hunt the fastball. And, you know, it's my job, you know, not to miss it.
0: Mm-hmm. And when it comes to either this sort of innovative bullpen use or using you as a pinch hitter, has Brian, Pitched it to you kind of as, hey, we're going to break the mold. We're going to do something experimental that no one else is trying. Or is it really simpler than that? Just, hey, you're a good hitter. So we're going to use you as a hitter.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, you're a good hitter. We see that you work in it. And, you know, I think they just see the at-bats, the quality of at-bats. And so I think that's where it's not just like I'm up there swinging and, and I think they, they see when I'm up there, I take a hitter's approach and, and so they can trust it. And that gives them the confidence, but yeah, it's just, it's really as simple as you can, you can hit. I know the scouting director has been telling them that, you know, I can, I can do it and has been reassuring them that, you know, I, I have the capability of doing it since he scouted me all through college. Um, Mm -hmm and so I think he's played a, played a role in it as well, but yeah, he just approached me, I, you know, you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, and I think they know that, so when they told me, you know, hey, we want you to hit, they knew that I was going to be ready to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And could you imagine playing a position in the field at any point, or I mean, I know that you're kind of too valuable as a pitcher to to jeopardize that but we've seen occasionally someone try to do it so has there been any discussion or temptation
2: yeah so i think that's that's a little different with me is you know most guys that you know are two-way type players are you know they're a really good pitcher and you know they they can hit for power but you know they don't look like a hitter up there or Mm -hmm. you know they're they can't they would never be able to play a position or, you know, they're slow and they don't know how to run bases. And so I think that's just the difference with me is, you know, if if my strong suit was playing center field or playing, you know, I played right field some, my, my freshman year, and then ended up winning the job in center field for the next, you know, my, the rest of my freshman, sophomore, junior year. And so, you know, defense was, you know, where I was the best at, that was the best part of my game. And so you know, I can play defense and I can run the bases and, you know, I can hit. And so I, I think they're a little bit more, more, you know, flexible with me since we have only four bench guys, if something were to, yeah. were to happen and they need me in the, in, in the field, they're not going to be, afraid to put me out there.
0: Mm -hmm. And then I guess just lastly, is the day-to-day preparation much different for you than it is for the other pitchers? Like, are you taking a lot of extra BP or working in the cage or shagging more flies or anything like that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've always, it's it's the same stuff as a pitcher. So everything's the same. And then I do, when I would shag anyways, I would always kind of, it's called power shagging. And and get some reads in the outfield anyway, just cause it was fun to me. So I've, I've been doing that since, you know, I first signed and then I've just been hitting in the cage more with, with our assistant hitting coach, Tony Hermio. And, you know, he's, he's gotten my swing down. So, you know, the swing is there and really it's, Nothing's really changed, really. It's just been more it has been more fun because, you know, there's so much downtime at the field. So I get to, instead of just sitting at my locker, I get to be in the cage swinging the bat a little bit. So it's been, <laughs> for me, it's been more fun.
0: Well, it's been fun for all of us to watch, too. So you can find Michael anywhere from the third inning to the ninth inning to <laughs> the batter's box. And he's also on Twitter at Lorenzen55. And we really appreciate your joining us. Thanks for your time.
2: Right on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
3: in the ninth, and
0: the Reds needed that one. Okay, so that is it for this episode. We will be back with a new one on Monday. Pleasure to talk to you as always. Likewise.